doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Another player has gone into the portal and now appears to be coming out of the portal and returning to the Ducks. Dan Lanning and his staff have done it again. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host. Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe, wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Thank you to all of you who have done so already. And this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online as you cover the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I really wonder how common this is going to be now that the transfer portal is a bigger part of college football than it used to be. Always important to remember the transfer portal has always existed. The one time freebie rule did not. So when people say like, Oh, the transfer portal is brand new. It's just more prominent, right? It's been there for quite some time. I don't remember a college football age. I'm sure there was one, but uh, I, I don't know a college football age in my lifetime where there wasn't a transfer portal, but we've now had three players apparently go into the portal with the intention to leave the University of Oregon and then have some conversations with coaches or test the waters and decide that they're going to stay with the Ducks. And I think that's a, a good thing, right? Because it's recruiting in a sense. It's kind of a new element to recruiting, right? Because guys can freely transfer and be immediately eligible. You have to recruit them out of high school, but you have to recruit them when they're you know freshmen and sophomores a little bit on campus as well, which I'm sure any coach would uh, maybe not say publicly, but would privately tell you is not their favorite element of the transfer portal. But you always have to remember it goes both ways as we are likely to, you know, lose some players we'd like to keep. We're also likely to get players. And, you know, we've seen that this offseason as well, who, you know, other schools are not too keen on uh, on having leave their program. Bucky Irving, I think, is a great example after a standout freshman season at Minnesota. He's now in our running back room. So. Apparently, uh, Damon David, uh, safety for the Ducks, who was a freshman a season ago, four-star recruit, is not leaving the program, according to a report. Uh, this comes courtesy of Zach Blostein. Blostein? We're going to go with Blostein. I apologize if that's wrong. Of Knowles 24-7 Sports reporting. So David himself has not officially announced this, but from what I've come to understand and people I've talked to who are around the situation and follow this sort of stuff, it, it appears to be pretty accurate and somebody you know putting it out on 20 from 24 7 sports that's a, a pretty good source so we'll operate today under the assumption that he has in fact made the decision decision to return to the university of oregon but he entered the portal on may 5th after playing you know not a ton in 2021 as a freshman he took an official visit to florida state on june 10th i'm recording this on june 19th so that was nine days ago and apparently he didn't see I haven't talked to him or I haven't talked to anyone else who, who talked to him. So, you know, indirectly talking to him, I guess would be the uh, expression I'm looking for there. But 
apparently he didn't like what he saw or he wasn't, you know, crazy about his prospects going elsewhere. And so he has now decided to return to the Ducks. And that's, you know, I think overall a good thing at a position that I have many questions about going into this season. I think, you know, a fewer going forward because there's some youth and talent there, but there's just not a ton of experience depending on which position you're looking at. Novarone McKinley, of course, is leaving a hole, but David, a guy who had just three tackles in nine games in 2021. So, you know, he, he was on the field a decent amount. Uh, he battled injuries and he had Verone McKinley ahead of him, of course. So I think that's another reason that he didn't see the field a lot, but pretty highly rated recruit coming out of uh, he's actually out of the state of Maryland. He's from where was his high school? Uh, Franklin High School in Reistertown, Maryland. I can't say I know where Reistertown is. I can say that he's a he's the sort of guy who, you know, if I'd been hosting the show at the time and was talking about his commitment, it would be a player that we would feel pretty good about in terms of his potential to be a, a contributor with the Ducks. So I'm glad that he's back. And the current safety room, I'll get to that in a moment, but there was another transfer that I just wanted to touch on uh, who did leave the Ducks. Excuse me, that was Christian Williams. I don't know what is going on with me today. Just having those moments where like you just got to kind of swallow, get through it. Anyway, uh, former three-star defensive lineman, 6'3", 297 pounds. He is going to Missouri, so he's going to go play for the Tigers, a program that I'm convinced has only ever been good when Chase Daniel was its quarterback back in the day, the greatest backup quarterback, or the most successful backup quarterback in terms of on-field earnings without actually having to do anything on the field. Legend in the NFL, Chase Daniel. But Williams, it's a funny thing to be able to say, but he's entering this year his fourth year sophomore campaign. So he had the COVID year and he had a red shirt as well. So he could be a senior, but he's a fourth year sophomore, which is, that's a thing. <laughs> that's the thing. And he was he was on the field a little bit for, for the Ducks this past season, was you know decently productive. He had 16 tackles and a pass breakup this past year. And, you know, that's somebody who you might not have heard his name called in big plays or big moments, but he was on the field probably more than most people perhaps realized. I'm not super concerned about him leaving the the program, spelled P-R-O-G-R-U-M, of course, per Dan Lanning's uh, indirect instructions. But I'm not really worried about him leaving the program because you've got Casey Rogers and Jordan Riley coming over from Nebraska with Tony Tuioti, our new defensive line coach. And, and then you've got Sam Taimani in there, and you've got Popo, and then you have Brandon Dorless, of course. And then on the edge, guys like Braden Swinson and you know maybe Mace Funa down there. Um, so I, I'm not really concerned about the depth in terms of the interior defensive linemen. Like, I don't think it's a, a situation where we need to go and add a body. I, I think, and I, I don't know this for certain, someone in the YouTube comments could fact check me if you'd like, but... This feels like a move where he wasn't going to play a lot and we have brought in a good number of players and, you know, you only have a certain number of scholarships available. My theory would be that this is a situation where he's not going to play a lot. They maybe wanted to free up a scholarship. And so he's you know now going to go and play for Missouri again. I, I don't have that source at all. Just hypothesizing here, but kind of seems like that'd be the case because you know played a little 
but you bring in a couple transfers, that's going to limit his playing time, and you want to be able to to have enough scholarships to give to to everybody as well. So um, they, they've been bringing in a, a good number of guys, but you know also had a, a fair number leave the program as well, and that's or sorry program, and, and that's just kind of what we should expect going forward. And you know I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. There, there will be moments, you know, like when Damon David announced that he was going to transfer. I think that was one where, you know, there are some Oregon fans who, who probably felt like, man, that's kind of a bummer. I felt good about him when when he came to Oregon. He showed a couple of nice things and he just, you know, never really gave it a chant, never gave it the time that, that you need to fully develop in a program. And I, I understand that. And that's a really common sentiment amongst fans that I've seen is, you know, guys are not willing to to wait their turn and, you know, give the full commitment to the process and they just don't have to as much. And, you know, sometimes you'll be able to go to a power five school if you're a guy like, like Christian Williams, or sometimes, you know, maybe the reason Damon David didn't end up leaving Oregon is because because he couldn't find a situation where he was going to, you know, be a a regular player, a regular contributor. And so he figures his best chance is to stay with the ducks. And I, I like seeing that because I think it is going to become and already is increasingly more rare to have the sorts of guys in your program who are, you know, willing to to not play a, as much their first year and then will play a little bit more and then grow into a really, really good players. And I think Verone McKinley actually is a great example of that. He played as a true freshman, but not as much as he did, you know, this past season a, as a junior. And uh, d- just a quick note on him, by the way, uh, I th- people have pointed out that he should have stayed for another year to boost his draft stock. That's that's not true. I just want to address that real quick. But I want to remind you first that Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. Bet Online, go Mariners. They're just they're painful. It's so painful for me. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to esports and scores. And Bet Online remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online is where the game starts. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Uh, the, the quick note on Verone McKinley, since I was mentioning him, is you know from time to time I'll see someone uh, drop a comment or send or say something on Twitter about like, oh, Verone should have stayed another year to boost his draft stock. He was a first team All American. He led the nation in interceptions. I don't know how much higher your draft stock can get. The NFL clearly just didn't regard him very high, even though he's a really good player. And I think that him not getting drafted at all is undervaluing him, even though he doesn't have elite physical traits. I thought he was definitely worthy at least of a late round draft pick, but 
you know, when I had the chance to talk to Mel Kiber Jr., he he was pretty confident that that McKinley would probably get drafted before Mikhail Wright, and he thought they both would get selected. Of course, uh, neither did. So that's a quick note on that. But you know, this news with Damon David or Dave Damon David that was painful. That had to be really painful to listen to. I apologize. Uh, we're not perfect, but where does it leave Oregon's safety room? And so you've got Damon David. You've got Steve Stevens in there who played a good amount last year. I had struggled a lot at times, pretty good tackler, but in coverage, it looked like he was kind of susceptible. You know, he got beat a couple times against Ohio state, but then again, so did literally everybody like literally everybody in the country got beat against Ohio state. So that's maybe not a fair starting point. And you know, there was, I think he had a, a penalty on a fourth down when Cal was driving to tie the game at Austin stadium. He was he wasn't bad, but I think he still ha- has some room to grow. Uh, you've got Bennett Williams in there; he's back for one more year of college football. Jamal Hill, this feels like it might be his last year. Might not be. He's you know a little bit more of like a hybrid safety, nickel dime back. Like he's just kind of all over the place, but uh, not not a real free safety. Definitely more of a strong safety or nickel kind of guy. And then you've got Triquez Bridges, who from what we've been able to discern so far from spring football is moving back to safety after being moved to corner. And I, I think that's a fine move. Brian Addison is back there. And then you got JJ Greenfield as well. And then next year, Cody DeCambra is coming. We'll see if Oregon is able to get any other uh, commitments in the class of 2023 on the back end of the secondary, but that's a lot of bodies, you know, quietly. I, I think that, that's a that's a position group that we, even when, as I was prepping for the show and I was listing them out, I looked at them. I was like, that that's a lot more names than I expected there to be when when I was thinking about who could play safety this year for Oregon. So I don't have questions about the depth because I, I think there are guys there who have you know shown some potential in in one place or the other. If Bennett, I don't think Bennett Williams could play free safety. Maybe he could. I would love it if he were able to do that, but I think he's a little bit more of a, of a box safety or a star position guy, you know, on the on the back end of a four two five defense. But if he could, I really like his instincts and and playmaking. But you lost Bro McKinley and Jordan Happel from a season ago. The club, all all hail the club and the interception he made up at uh, Washington and Seattle last year. Gosh, that was awesome in the rain too with the club. Yeah, that's. Uh, that, that was a pretty awesome moment. But honestly, right now, as I look at that list of names, I don't know that I have a gut feeling about who's going to be the starting free safety. I think you're going to see a lot of Jamal Hill and you're going to see a lot of Bennett Williams. They're playmakers. You're going to put them on the field any way you can. But I think they're more strong safeties than free safeties. And Damon David, I think, has an opportunity to be Oregon's starting safety this year. He would have to really claim the job because he didn't play a ton of season ago. You know, Steve Stevens, uh, I'm sure if you were to look at snap counts, would probably be a little bit higher up on the on the experience list than than Damon Damon would be right now. But, you know, Triquez Bridges, again, maybe he'll play free safety. But I feel like from a body type perspective, a little bit more of a strong safety guy. Addison's taller, but I think he's rangier and also not as experienced back there. So the opportunity is is there. Heck, maybe it's J.J. Greenfield, who was away from the program last year, the program last year. I got to get that down. That's twice on the show here that I've, uh, that I've had to correct myself there, but he was away from the program in, in 2021 after being there in 2020. Now he's back with the team. He's not on scholarship at this point in time. So he's clearly a hard worker who really, really wants to be there. So maybe he's a guy who stepped, he had uh, the interception of Bo Nix in, in the spring game. It was not a good throw from Bo 
And hopefully I don't say that too many times here on the podcast in, in the coming months. But, you know, it's it's certainly possible. Um, I, I just don't have a strong sense right now about which of those guys is going to emerge. But those are the names that are, you know, certainly out there as, as potential candidates to to replace Ron McKinley. And those are uh, so, some pretty big shoes to fill. And, you know, that, that secondary, I think they're going to need a really, really strong pass rush to, to help them out, especially as they get settled in in the early weeks of the season. Uh, you talk to anyone who's around football or a coach, scout, whatever, they'll tell you that good corners are often made by good defensive ends and good defensive lines who can get pressure on the quarterback just uh, allows for a lot, a lot more possibilities in terms of how you can play and how aggressively you can play and, uh, you know, everything that you want to do on the back end as, as defense. Let's get to our uh, our mailbag question of the day. And remember, if you ever want a question answered here on the show, you may do so. There are four ways to get a question here on the show. You tweet with the hashtag AskLODPod, or you can DM me or just at me at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks or hop in the YouTube comments as well. I monitor those closely. Ask me a question. Ask about anything. I'll get it answered here on the show. And I will always, 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 as I've done with every question that has been sent in, give it the full run through. I am never, ever going to half-ass one of these. I think they're I think they're a lot of fun. I love that you're engaging with the show because I love being a part of the Ducks fan, Duck fans community. A lot of speaking grammatical errors today. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, uh, this question comes courtesy of Frosty Dog Gaming, who just added me on Twitter and said, if you had to rank all of the running backs that played for Oregon, how would you rank them? That is a great question. And Oregon has had a great many running backs over the years. And ranking them is pretty challenging because they're all unique in their own right. And so the, the question was slightly broad, but not not too broad. I, I'm just going to answer it in the way that I, I believe he is intending it, which is who had the best college career, not factoring in the pro career, because then you know we're just looking at you know what they did while they were at Oregon. And the other thing, I'm sure many of you know this, especially if you watch on YouTube, you can see my wonderful baby face here. Uh, I'm not very old, so I'm going to keep this limited to guys that I have seen play live. Because if you haven't seen a guy play live, it's tough, I think, to get a real sense of where you would rank him. Because then you're just going off stats, and stats do not tell the whole story. For example, I do not have Oregon's leading rusher as the number one running back on this list, which I'll get to in a moment. But I think that, you know, you just can't look at you, you have to understand, you know, the kind of player he was, how fans reacted to him, the way he ran. And you know, have to have seen him play over and over and over again. So, you know, uh, a Mo Morris, you know, from the early 2000s, I'm too young to to have seen that. So we're kind of talking you know, in the last 15 ish, 20 years or so. But but still, this was tough. This was a, this was a tough thing to do to put the Oregon running backs in, in order like that. But I came up with a top five and then there's sort of a, a next group. And we'll start with. Uh, the next group, and then we'll work our way up the list. The the next group, so to speak, guys who you know are kind of on the outside, peering in, but not quite cracking the the top five in my view, from what I've seen in in my lifetime. And by the way, I know there's some older Oregon fans out there. If you want to hop in the YouTube comments and say you know so and so should be there, or this guy should be, then by all means go for it. But I didn't want to start talking about guys who I didn't see play because that just feels a, a little bit wrong. Uh, the next group includes Thomas Tyner, and, and this is in order to me, by the way. Thomas Tyner, who at times, lest we forget, was a better running back than than Royce Freeman. Uh, that that's very true. Now Freeman had a better overall career, 
and also didn't go to play for the beefs. But uh, there, there were times during that national championship season where I wanted Tyner or the getting to the national championship game, of course, where I wanted Tyner on the field and not Freeman. Cause I thought he would hit the hole a little bit harder. Uh, but spoiler alert, Freeman's in the top five, Thomas Tyner, Jeremiah Johnson. Oh, that uh, game formerly known as the civil war back in 2008. Yeah. 2000, it would have been 2008. Uh, Masoli had, had become the starter in the latter part of that season. What ended up being a holiday bowl victory against Oklahoma state. He ran wild down there in Corvallis. That guy was a really well-balanced running back and, you know, had, had some explosive speed as well. Uh, LeGarrette Blunt is right there at, uh, at number three on the next group. Some people might have him higher. Uh, I, I don't have him down. I'm not punishing him for the punch. There were a, a lot of things that, that went into that. And, you know, it's, it's what it, it's whatever at this at this point, but I'm just looking at you know what they were as running backs during their Oregon careers. He was a little bit more of a one trick pony. I think we were better off getting Lamichael as a starter because he could do a lot more. Legarrette was valuable and you know went on to have a great NFL career, which you could totally see coming because he's just such a big physical guy. He's got like three or four Super Bowl rings. Uh, I think there was a stretch where he's on the Patriots, got a ring, and then was on the Eagles, got a ring, and then was on the Patriots again the next year when they beat the Rams. Um, I, I believe that is correct. He was, he definitely went Patriots and then Eagles. I don't know if he was on the next Patriots team as well, but, uh, it was a little bit of a, of a one trick pony, lacked the breakaway speed. Wasn't going to make guys miss in space a lot, but you need a couple yards might not have been any better guys than, uh, than LeGarrette Blount to give the ball to on third and fourth and short, uh, Byron Marshall right behind him, who went from Oregon's leading rusher to his leading the Ducks leading receiver, from the 2014 or 2013 to 2014 season, which is a pretty, uh, a pretty awesome shift. And he showed, you know, I think he's kind of like D'Anthony light in that sense, not quite as explosive, but I, I, I was a fan. I mean, he's just, he was just solid. Like if he were a running back coming into this year, I wouldn't have that many questions about it. I'd say, you know, do we have one of the best running backs of all time? No, but is he good? Is he solid? Is he productive? Absolutely. And he's active in the passing game as well. And speaking of active in the passing game, just cracking this uh, this next group top five. I've got Travis Dye, who I always like more than CJ Verdell. I think Verdell, uh, who I do not have in here, though I like him and I understand he was really productive, was a little bit of a one-trick pony, but not quite as big and powerful as Garrett Blunt was. I, I was not surprised that he didn't get drafted in the NFL. So Tyner, Jeremiah Johnson, LeGarrette Blunt, Byron Marshall, then Travis Dice. So let's get into the top five and coming in at number five. I thought about this one and where to put him. Some people might have him higher, but I've got DeAnthony Thomas at number five. And the reason is he was so explosive and capable of being a, a number one running back of sorts. But I, I don't think he could be a guy who was uh, a top running back that could get the ball, you know, 25 to 30 times a game. Could you give him a good handful of carries? Yes. But did he need a more powerful complimentary back? Yeah. And that's why I have him down at number five and then, you know, get him the ball in space. And like he, he's officially listed as a running back. But of course, we we convert him with chip to, to wide receiver a little bit. And he did a lot of both. So I, I think he does qualify. That's what I was kind of debating with him. I was like, is he a running back? Is he a wide receiver? Is he a hybrid? Does he count? And I was like, at the end of the day, he's one of Oregon's, you know, top 10 or 20 all-time leading rushers. So I, I think he can fall into that category. And he's got the best highlight reel. <laughs> he's got the best, he's got the best highlight mixtape. Uh, right above him, 
And again, I have him above because I think he's someone who you could give the ball 30 to 40 times a game to if you wanted to, 25, 30, whatever, depending on the game plan, is Kenyon Barner, who, you know, I, I initially was uh, a little concerned back in the day when, when LaMichael left for the NFL. And I was like, oh, gosh, what are we going to do without LaMichael? And is, is the running game going to be the same? And then I watched a few Barner, a few more Barner highlights. And I was like, Okay, maybe we'll be okay. And then really early in that season, it became obvious, yeah, we're going to be okay. <laughs> like he, you know, it was so fluid. And he was not a very physical back, but he was capable in short yardage situations. But he's just sneaky fast. He never looked like he was running very hard. He never looked like anything was very difficult for him. But you look up and, you know, he'd shrug off a tackle here and there. And he obviously had the top-end speed to – to break away for for long touchdown runs, which he did several times. So I've got Kenny on there at, at number four and slightly more well-rounded than him. I've got Royce Freeman, Oregon's all-time leading rusher. Now, part of that is because he was Oregon's running back or at least one of the uh, feature running backs for four seasons. And a lot of these guys were not. Now, Kenyon was, but LaMichael was not. DeAnthony was not. Jonathan Stewart was not, who's right above Royce Freeman on, on this list. And, you know, Royce, not always the flashiest, but you look up and you just can't deny the productivity. And he came in as a big-time recruit. And I think, you know, he, he lived up to about 95% of the hype. Because I, I, I just put it at 95%, not 100% of the hype, which, by the way, is still very good. I'm not taking shots at him. I've got a number three in running backs that I've seen for Oregon in my lifetime. But... There was uh, there, there were there were more than a few moments in his freshman year where I felt like he was a little timid going into the line. And I was watching the TV going, put Tyner in for now. I need someone to hit the hole hard. Uh, but Freeman ended up having the, the better career, of course. Right above him, Jay Stu. I mean, definitely of all these guys, except for maybe LeGarrette might be the most accomplished NFL runner uh, of this group of Oregon running backs. But. Man, Jay Stu is right there. I mean, he was really good in the league, but gosh, he was great at Oregon. I would take him now in a heartbeat. I think he's, you know, one of those guys, whereas uh, DeAnthony or Kenyon or even the guy who I clearly have at, at number one feel like they are going to thrive most successfully in a certain scheme. I think Jonathan Stewart is someone who could thrive in any offensive philosophy. I think Chip could have used him well. I think, you know, if we have more power running and go under center a decent amount with Kenny Dillingham, he would obviously work in that. You know, what we're running with uh, with Vernon Adams obviously worked very well. I mean, I, I think he can do everything even just a little bit better than, than Freeman, who I felt like doesn't have quite the accelerative burst that, that Jonathan Stewart had. Uh, so I've got him at number two. And I mean, Michael's number one. I, it's, it's an easy one, right? I mean, at, le at least for me. All right, maybe there's a, a past Oregon running back and, and the older fans that are out there. I know we've got many of you, and I appreciate all of you, no matter what age you are, what era you're from. And I love connecting past eras, talking about players and all that sort of stuff. So if you feel I'm off here, hop in the YouTube comments, by all means. But I, I, I don't know if you can look back and say there was a, a better Oregon running back, a more impactful Oregon running back both from an on-field production standpoint, but also also from a, a national branding perspective. I mean, people knew LaMichael James because he was a Heisman finalist and he was the way he played and he had that infectious energy, the way he ran and he was powerful and he could you know sneak through and he used his weight really well with that low center of gravity. He was j just tremendous in, in so many ways. And 
Uh, he was perfect for for what Chip wanted to do on offense. And, you know, some people I think have said like, oh, well, he was only good in that offense. But that offense needed him, right? It's it's a two-way street. I think he needed that offense to be the player that we know him as today. But that offense also needed him and Kenyon to be, you know, what what it became back in the day over uh, over 10, gosh, it was 13 years ago when Chip first got the head coaching job. Time flies when you're having fun, and I always enjoy doing these. Thanks for making it. Thanks for making this your first listen. Go make Lockdown Pack 12 your second. I'm hosting, talking about the Conference of Champions. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks. Is your wallet a little lighter than usual after the holiday season? Consider it money well spent, because you deserve to live your best life, and the Chime Checking Account wants to help you live yours to the fullest. A little extra money goes a long way, which is why the Chime Checking Account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and access to over 60,000 easy-to-find and fee-free ATMs. You even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go, including sending and receiving money fee-free with friends that aren't even on Chime. Sign up for Chime today for you and your wallet. Get started at Chime.com goals 24. That's Chime.com goals 24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply.